Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpies. Good afternoon, Matt. Hey there, Spanners. Or good evening, isn't it? Already on your side of the park. Oh, it's definitely drinky o'clock here in the UK on this very relaxing non-race weekend. Uh, nice to have a new show. Nice to have a slightly different crew on as well. And a nice mix of news stories that are circulating in the normal mainstream media subjects we want to talk about, and then a little bit of a follow-up on the Honda story. Yeah, we have the Youth Brigade on today. Oh my gosh, yeah, we had one of the oldest panels ever a little while back. Uh, I think when Steve was on, I might have been the youngest person on that panel, but yeah, we've got a youthful panel today. I'm looking forward to it, and we do have some very interesting things to talk about, both in terms of long-term implications for the sport, and things that are going to happen right away, practically. So... Uh, we've been doing this for a long time now, Matt. And I, I remember you back in like 2013, 2014. You were sat there going, no, you guys, you need to remember. You need to know the, the engine regulations for 2018. And we're like, oh, you crazy old fool. 2018 will never happen. And now you're talking to me about stuff in 2026. And I'm like, all right, I might listen now. Yeah, it, it, it's not that it matters so much in 2026. It's that. Given Honda's departure, what happens next with the next set of regulations is going to be super important for the role of manufacturers in the sport of Formula One for at least the next decade, I'd say. You've made your case. We'll definitely cover that. But first, let me tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And as Matt alluded to, we do have a young panel. We are joined once again by Chris Stevens. Chris, it's been far too long. What? Hey, guys, what's up? It has. It has been way too long since I've done one of these shows. So people were asking, you know, has Chris been dumped from the show? Where's he been? We've not seen him for ages. And at no point did I reassure anyone. So I've been like trying to have this like air of mystery. Has there been a great falling out? 
did Chris finally uh, snark off spanners one too many times? Oh, yeah, we had a massive, massive bust up during uh, during the middle of summer. It got really ugly, but we've kissed and made up. It's because you think that's that, not true. It's because you think COVID's a scamdemic. That's why we fell out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's been it's been super busy at work, yeah. man. I mean, you know, we're talking about how busy the F1 schedule is. Obviously, every other championship is trying to cram in their season into the end of the year. And uh, I've finally been able to get away from it for, for one weekend. Yeah, well, mostly on race weekends, you've had clients that are involved in that race weekend. So you haven't been able to come on on those weekends. And at the moment, most weekends have been race weekends. So we've been unlucky not to catch you. But glad you're here to talk some F1 with us. And thank you for commentating on our iRacing Championship last night as well. Available by searching for Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube. That was absolutely my pleasure. It was fantastic to be back in the comm box and a great night of racing. Awesome. Uh, we're also joined by our resident driver pro, Bradley. I'm super fast and I know it, Philpot. How's it going, Brad? Going really well, Spanners. I've had a very exciting week and can't wait to talk about Formula One news with you guys. Now, I'm really excited about what you're about to do next. Now, are you allowed to say what it is going to be next time you jump into a racing car? Are you allowed? Are you allowed? Are you allowed? I'm not allowed, but I will be allowed in about three weeks time. How about now? Are you allowed now? Not quite. Keep <sighs> asking me through the show there. Okay, no, I, will, I will check in several times, uh, but things going forward in Bradley Philpot world. Um, you have done a little bit of coaching with my boy Treeface on karting as well. He's hoping to, to get out back on track and get a bit more coaching from Coach Brad. But you came up in conversation earlier because uh, due to maths tests that I won't talk about, I was trying to explain to him that I'm not the kind of dad who says second place is the first loser. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. If he comes through a tough field and finishes second, I'll be absolutely delighted. And he said, well, what would Brad say? And I said, well, no, Brad would just say Why, what you should have just won. To be honest, with maths, when it comes to maths, I'd say, you know, just a basic pass is absolutely fine. Yeah. I'm not the best at maths. But yeah, when it comes to racing, we'll, um, we'll make sure Treeface has the right attitude. Which I feel still is my attitude, but fine. Uh, you go your way, Coach Brad. But the interesting point from there was, um, he said, when we said, oh, well, Brad likes to finish first, he said, does Brad ever cheat? Now, my wife, who's met you several times and has a good impression of you and thinks you're a nice person and a good racer, she's seen you race. She instantly said, no, of course not. And I actively snorted, which was wrong of me. <laughs> but then, you know, I had this conversation. Yeah, Brad cheats in the way most racing drivers cheat. And I think you seem to have this attitude of, if there was no penalty given to me, then no rule was imposed on me. Therefore, I did nothing wrong. Kind of. I mean, we'd need to talk specifics, which I'm sure we'll do <laughs> another time. But yeah, I, I'd say I don't cheat, but I'll definitely make sure I've um, explored every avenue um, to get away with whatever you're allowed to get away with. Is that a better way of putting it? Yeah, I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all. Uh, Matt? I think what he's trying to say is he knows exactly how many toes he can hang over the edge of whatever line it is we're talking about. I think that's accurate. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, guys, let's fire into the... Dirty News. Thank you, live band. Ah, oh, I feel like, um, what, what are those chat show hosts in America? Is it like Jimmy Fallon and the other one, where they've got their live band? That's what we need. Every bumper from now on, you do live trumpet. Okay. Oh, good. That was easy. That was easy to sort out. Uh, you've been having a look at the World Drivers' Championship table. 
it does look pretty uh, pretty wrapped up at the front. It looks like uh, Lewis Hamilton, unless he gets you know two or three uh, Sato Sato invoked penalties and misses races, he looks like he's escaping up front. But there's a few interesting battles starting to brew up for the end of the season. Yeah, well, this actually caught my attention at the end of the race last weekend, and we just didn't have time to fit it in. Uh, but the midfield, and now the midfield happily starts with position four on the drivers' championship is fourth, fifth, and sixth, 65, 64, and 63 points, respectively, for Norris, Albon, and Ricardo. Wow. And then 7, 8, and 9 is 57, 57, 56 for Leclerc, Stroll, and Perez, respectively. So if you like any of those drivers, you now have a very good reason to pay attention to the upcoming seven races. All right. Well, let's uh, recap that briefly then. So the battle we're looking at is Norris, Albon, Ricardo. Uh, Brad, I think you would have been the least surprised to see Norris in that sort of top of the best of the rest category. Yeah, I'm actually really pleased to see him there. Um, and I'm actually, I'm a little bit surprised because although the McLaren has been solid and quite versatile, it's not, I wouldn't say it's really um, the car that should put a driver as you know best of the rest. I think Norris is doing a particularly good job. Um, and I really hope he manages to hang on there, but I've got a feeling the racing points are going to be a little bit too much to hold back. And maybe Ricardo. Yeah, Matt? I think I think it's going to be Ricardo because at Racing Point you sort of have Stroll and Perez flip flopping a little bit, and then you have them with some inconsistent performances. Whereas Renault seems to have sort of come on and they figured out how to be there or thereabouts at every race, and they very definitely seem to be putting all their eggs in the Ricardo basket mm. at least for this season. And you're not bitter about that at all, are you, Matt? No, I'm not. Uh, Ocon is basically a rookie again. He's had an entire year out of the sport. I wouldn't expect him to be able to be fully up to speed, you know, at best halfway through the season. I think a year off in Formula One is a pretty big deal, given how complex the sport is. So, it, it, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. Ricardo has the experience. They paid him the big bucks for mm. it. And notably, he has said that they are keeping him entirely in the loop he's still doing sim work he's still doing dev work oh. they don't really they're not worried about him taking secrets like everybody else is like mm. oh yeah that was like yeah i'm like i can't even visit italy right now without special permission but not 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 reno they're like yeah we don't care we want to do as well as possible and that means that you're in the loop for everything and helping us make these choices well to me that suggests then that they're kind of smelling blood for that fourth place in the drivers championship um, and yeah, look, it's a little bit of uh, an, an annoyance, I will bet, for, for Esteban Ocon having to spend a year in the sidelines and then not being able to come back straight in and kind of go back up to the potential that everyone was seeing in him. Um, but, you know, Raikkonen had to do this with Massa at, at, at the midway point in 2008. Brad, could you ever imagine yourself, because I've only seen you in endurance races where you're like swapping cars, but like even... In karting in a championship, could you see yourself going, okay, the, the, my teammate's championship's more important. I'll wave him through or hold people up. I've never seen you in that role. Um, I certainly haven't ever been in that role. Um, I've never been in a championship where I've had, mm. uh, where I've been in a team where you have a teammate like that. My teammates have always been people who are driving the same car as me. Yeah. So um, I want them to do well because it means I'm, I'm also doing well because we're in the same race effectively. Um, it would always be tough to play that supporting role, but I've also seen a lot of professional drivers be a very good professional when it comes to that point and they realize you know this isn't my year and they do kind of switch mentality to you know the let's help the teammate because it's for the good of the team in general 
obviously it's not always the case because if teammates really don't get on, then then they're not going to be too helpful. But as long as you have a decent relationship <laughs> yeah. with your teammate, I don't think I'd have a massive problem with that. You just do your best to to be the other person. You wouldn't want to be the one in that position if you could help it. Yeah, no, fair enough. So let, let's have a look at this this table again. Um, obviously, we know the top three, Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen, Norris, Albon, Ricardo. that's your top six. Uh, Charles Leclerc uh, in seventh place. And then the two racing points, as you were suggesting, you know, they're going a bit back and forth uh, with their fortunes, probably taking more points off each other uh, than, than you might want if you were pushing to go further up the table. Um, the real surprise there is Pierre Gasly, Chris. I mean, that lad's been through an emotional roller coaster. No real right to be 10th place in the championship right now. Obviously, that, that one win skews the... No, when I say no right, do you know what I mean? I mean, he's punching above expectation. Yeah, I, I think he always has been. And, you know, of course, uh, that, that team, the Fienza team, uh, got two podiums last season in two, albeit very freak races. But um, mm. I think, you know, even if you take the win out of perspective, yeah, he'd be further down in the championship, but the boy's still doing an outstanding job in that car. So I don't think we can really include him in this fight for you know a no. top five position in the in the championship um, because that's just not where the car's at. But in terms of you know the teammate uh, battle with Danny Kvyat, you know we oh, know yeah. Kvyat is looking over his shoulder. Yeah, what for his place? For his place, yeah. Mm. I mean, Red Bull have got people like Yuki Tsunoda in in Formula Two. And I know the Honda deal might complicate that matter. I think it shouldn't matter either way because he's a great driver and I think he'd do very well in that AlphaTauri. So Kvyat should be looking over his shoulder. And so if we, um, I know it's hard sometimes in F1 because the focus is always on those top positions, but I, I mm. think that the drivers in this bunch, Norris, Albon, Ricardo, Leclerc, Stroll, uh, Perez, Gasly, and even maybe Sainz, where's Sainz on this list, um, Matt? You've only posted the top 10. Because we only care about the top 10. Okay, I suspect fair. he's uh, 11th or 12th. Right, we're gonna, he's had more DNFs. Yeah. So. Signs yeah. fans, we are doing a whole little mini segment on Carlos Signs and why I've been accused of forgetting him from time to time. So, so bear with me. But all of these drivers in this battle, Matt, will want that fourth position and will be eyeing it. And I think realistically, Perez, Stroll, and Leclerc, Ricardo, Albert, Norris, they're the six that are in contention. Uh, so you're really favouring the Renaults, aren't you? Because they are kind of, they're, they're the ones on the up. Correct. It, it, when you look at it, they're on an upswing of form. Ricardo really is enjoying the way the car drives. And they've been very present at or near the best of the rest for several weekends, several different types of tracks. And there's not the direct teammate competition to rob Ricardo of points. Yeah. Whereas McLaren, they have done well but they seem to be fading a bit in terms of the development. Although they do have a new nose that they think will be unlocking some more performance for them. They seem to be like, a, we started strong early and now we're just kind of hanging on and doing the best we can sort of slow. That's my 5K tactic as well. Go out as fast as I can and hang on for dear life. Chris? Science has been so unlucky um, this season. It's kind of hard to watch really because his teammate has had quite a lot of glory um, this season mm. and, you know, even Science's um, podium at Monza was really overshadowed by by Gasly, and mm. of course his non podium podium finish in Brazil as well, where he inherited it, again overshadowed. And maybe that's what you know he hasn't done anything spectacular, and and he doesn't get the stories um, about him. And I think that's why people maybe forget about him. But he is. More than a match for for Lando Norris. I mean, don't forget when he was teammates with Max Verstappen, he held his own. 
well, Chris, if you're going to make all of the points I'm about to make, then I'm not <laughs> sure we're going to have you on the show again anytime soon. Uh, I did want to come in with, yeah, Signs is actually in 11th place. Okay, good. He's well, got 41 points. But I think Chris is right. His Brazil podium literally describes his career. An hour after it was over, he's announced his third. The team has to recreate it, which is like a beautiful gesture. But you're also right. He is the only driver to run Verstappen so closely that Verstappen got him chucked out of the team. Yeah, so and that's we, worth thinking about. We may as well do our little sub signs, uh, little category now since we're here. The reason that it got set off was because a few times I've been accused of, you know, forgetting about signs. And I think it's true. So I took a little look and I went, why have I got this blind spot for Carlos Sainz when he's clearly, clearly a talented driver? He's had two podiums, uh, but he never seems to enter my consciousness, Chris. I, I don't know if I'm being like, unkind, but he's I, I definitely don't want to say he's like a nothing he driver, but he just hasn't captured my imagination. And I, I wonder if a lot of people feel about Perez the way I feel about Sainz as well. Uh, absolutely, uh, they do. And I think... Uh, the behind the scenes aspect of it is probably the thing that's in his favor. Um, if you watch like the McLaren unboxed series, for example, we shall like behind the scenes content. Mm. Um, it's, it's great for, you know, people like Carlos, you get a, a lot of fans um, that way. And the, the drive to survive series, of course, as well. I mean, if I were to sort of go back and compare to Charles Leclerc, yeah. who of course Carlos will be teammates with next season. Mm. He kind of arrived in formula one with a bit of a fanfare, didn't he? As the reigning, Formula Two champion and uh, already with a beautiful backstory. Yeah, um, about it was an X you know, Factor story. Being, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the X Factor, and uh, whereas Carlos uh, arrived and just had the the biggest misfortune of being Max Verstappen's teammate, who everyone was more excited about, and as sort of he didn't explode straight away. No, but uh, I think that will change when he's at Ferrari for sure. He'll be back under a very bright spotlight. Brad, where do you stand on Carlos Sainz? Because the thing I was thinking earlier was, you know, you remember back to Kvyat getting dumped very quickly into a season, and it was probably a genuine toss-up between Sainz and Verstappen. And at that point, neither one of them looked spectacular. Maybe Verstappen had the the out-and-out raw edge, maybe. So I I think of Sainz as a real quality driver, Mm. Um, but just as you guys kind of covered already, he just doesn't maybe particularly stand out with people. He, he maybe doesn't have quite that flamboyant edge. Mm. Um, and although he's doing a really good job in the background, not being particularly in your face and maybe having some unlucky results, yeah. it just doesn't help drive him to the front of your mind when you're thinking of who the top drivers are. And the fact that it wasn't him that was taken to Red Bull, it was Verstappen, you know, when someone yeah. was promoted early. It just kind of it just overshadows his work that he's doing a little bit, but I'm completely open to seeing him emerge as an amazing Ferrari driver. But this is why I'm talking about it, Brad, because he is actually a Ferrari driver and something about that hasn't sunk into my head yet. But how often, Brad, have we said, oh man, look, oh, there's signs, he's done it again. Oh, he shoved his nose up the inside. Like he seems like a generally, he's a clean pro, goes about his business. Yeah, uh, and aside from Sochi at the weekend, where obviously he did just genuinely. Oh make no! An yeah, that was awful. Yeah, and that's why took I got, himself yeah. out. That that really is the exception. Yeah, though. he's normally quite uh, professional, and things seem to happen to him when when something goes wrong. It's not generally his fault. Uh, Chris, that's what the comment was. It was like, oh, you finally mentioned signs when he does something bad, and I went, oh yeah, no, I'm I am doing something wrong here. But the, the the thing about that, though, is that that's the kind of thing he will be crucified for 
when he's in a Ferrari. Mm. You cannot do that as a Ferrari driver. Matt, there was um, some comments. I put this in our Patreon Slack group, patreon.com forward slash Miss Apex. Um, and some of the comments were that Ferrari were looking for their Rubens, which I, I don't know. I felt that was harsh. But are they looking for an experienced driver that will do a solid job? Or are they looking for someone to give Leclerc a run for his money? I'm going to go yes on both counts. And I think Sainz is probably one of the few drivers that might be capable of it. And and it does really come back down, I think, to his driving style. The reason you don't notice him is because he's someone, he doesn't go out and make 19 last lap passes in order to make a position. He's someone who nicks a hundredth or two off you every single lap of the race. And suddenly he's in front of you and he's got that place and you don't. It, it's, it's, it's been his style yeah. for, you know. I know there's probably a stereotype of Spanish people as being flamboyant, but he is the dead opposite of that. And and I think that's going to suit Ferrari because we've seen Leclerc have be a bit more temperamental and emotional in his driving style. He's more very, very much, passionate. yeah, on the radio. Science makes a good yeah. emotional compliment mm. to it. I think he makes a good driving compliment to it. But he make no mistake, he is fast, he is competitive, and if Leclerc lets up at all, he's going to be right there to pick up the pieces and and take that place. I think Ferrari took science because he was the best driver available. Of course, Ricardo signed up at McLaren. Mm. Who else do you, who else out of the current field would you pick to be alongside Leclerc? Well, yeah, Bottas had a contract. Uh, Perez had a contract at the time. So, yeah, there may, I mean, Hulkenberg was there and available. That was an option. Yeah, but you'd want somebody current not somebody who's been sitting around the sidelines, I think. True. It's not the kind of thing Ferrari do. This was already a pretty extreme move from Ferrari to bring Leclerc in, to put somebody as young as Carlos alongside him as well. It's going to be the youngest ever, I think, or for a long time Ferrari lineup with a 21-year-old and a 25-year-old. At the time they announced this, of course, Hulkenberg had not been um, out of F1 for for so long. But also, you know, he beat Carlos Sainz. And I I think sometimes uh, that, that mentality we have, the heavyweight boxer mentality, can kind of get in our heads where we, we go, oh, well, Vettel lost to Ricardo that one year, so that means he's rubbish now. Oh, Sainz lost to Hulkenberg that year, that means he's rubbish. Ocon beat Perez. Um, you know, that's significant. Whereas really it's about, you know, over the course of a season, over the course of a career, winning at the right time and doing the right things and peaking at the right time. We tend to write people off, Chris, when they, they have a bad season against a teammate. Yeah, I, I think we, we are guilty of that. I think everyone's guilty of that. But you can't, you know, you've got to look at the whole picture. You can't, you know, specify too too many points. You can use examples, but yeah. you need to look at the broader picture. Okay, excellent. Well, let's uh, look at the rest of that battle then. Um, Yeah, so Lando Norris, uh, lots of people are, have, have gone in my face, Brad, and they've gone, you said Norris was going to destroy signs. And then I go, well, I mean, Lor- Norris is fourth. And then they talk about the bad luck, etc. It does make it difficult to make a comparison when there has been elephant elements of bad luck. But I don't think Lor- Norris has been disappointing. He's been a, a little bit, maybe a bit lacklustre off the start. So apart from that, he's been solid. I genuinely don't think Norris has been disappointing at all. I think he's been extremely good, extremely solid. And he's in a car which which isn't the third best car most of the mm. time. I think, you know, occasionally it has seemed like it's been pretty good at a certain track but i just think he's for someone who is so fresh into the sport although as we know definitely not fresh into top level motorsport and um and, you know he's extremely experienced in his junior career but 
he's just doing a, a really good job as a Formula One driver. It's his second season. He, he seems more mature. Everyone's saying how he's a little bit less jokey and just taking it a bit mm. more seriously. But I just think he's doing a really good job. And the moment he has a car which is good enough to win the races, he'll be winning races. So that's my feelings on Norris. I, I, I cannot wait to see what Norris will do in a, in a, in a race-winning car. For example, I think you stick him in a Mercedes and he'll turn into something really, really special. And let's be honest here. Albon should be in the top four yep. in the championship. Yeah, we can sit here and debate about why he isn't all day long. Fact is, he isn't. And the racing points should be fifth. Uh, I, I'll argue with you a little there, Chris, on, on both those points, just a little. The, the racing points, they've really dazzled us in practice and qualifying. The race pace seems to not quite be there. They seem to be not on, quite on top of how they're managing their tyres through the race. Um, you're right with Alex Albon. Not only should he be fourth, he should be comfortably fourth. Um, Valtteri Bottas, one six one, Max Verstappen, one two eight, despite having a 33% or close DNF rate. Um, so without that, he'd be battling right up against Bottas. You know, one of my big points has been take Lewis Hamilton out of that Mercedes. And actually this season, uh, let's, you know, let's say there's Valtteri Bottas is the number one driver. Yeah. This season is a real dog tooth fight between Verstappen and Bottas, where currently Verstappen is being robbed by unreliability or whatever. Um, but Albon is half the points away, exactly half the points away from, from Verstappen. So that's a big deficit. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we, we, we sit here and argue about why that yeah, is sure. all day long. It's various reasons. We he is, do. It isn't his fault, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But. yeah. All right. Good. Well, Matt, um, I've got two two topics here lined up to pick from. Um, should we talk about the F1 drivers racing against themselves in other series? Or do we do engines first? What do you think? I think I think the, the Vettel comment on the thing. What? I, I like the Vettel comment yeah. because then that leads to the Buxton thing and then oh, that okay. leads to the engines, which is what I really want to talk about. Okay, okay, let's do that. Okay, then. So that, that requires sc- scrolling to the correct place. So uh, versatile drivers. I did a bit of a, a tweet where, um, where <laughs> I was doing my impression of lots of commenters on Lewis Hamilton. They go, oh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton. Oh, I suppose he's a great driver. But until he wins a unicycle race or a, a, a tractor derby, you can never consider him to be a truly one of the greats of motorsport. And you, I just get exasperated with that kind of that kind of um, that kind of rhetoric because modern F1 drivers really don't go off doing a bunch of other series. So one particular commenter that I got dragged into talking to, I don't know why I do it, um, was was saying, you know, well Montoya's the best driver because he's shown versatility over those over those series. Um, and then uh, motorsport.com uh, did an article, I believe from Luke Smith, uh, interviewing uh, Sebastian Vettel saying, you know, would you be up for doing a spec series, like a support race, racing the other F1 drivers? And, you know, and so going to Brad, if you're in the midfield or lower, yeah, you'd love to do a spec series. If you're Valtteri Bottas, you don't necessarily want to line up in equal go-karts against the rest of the field. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that. So this is quite a, this is a really big topic. Yeah. So I'm going to try and give you a condensed version of my thoughts. So okay. Formula One, modern Formula One is an extremely specialist yeah. formula. It's, it's extremely uh, of its own kind and people need to focus very much on it in order to be the best at it. And although you can go off and kind of dabble in other series and, you know, just for a bit of fun, I think anybody who's trying to be at their top of the game in something like modern Formula One mm. probably needs to focus very much on that solely and, and make sure they are, they're completely in tune with that. And I know people hate us talking about iRacing, but 
imagine you're you're racing in a certain series on a sim racing yeah. platform and and you just do a bit of it but you go and do some other series as well you're never going to be absolutely the best at either of them you you actually have to really dedicate yourself to a particular discipline to be the best at it and i think anybody's saying that hamilton would need to go and do <laughs> something else to prove he's the best at motorsport he is in the highest level of motorsport from the one we consider as the the most elite form of motorsport and so to demonstrate you're the best at motorsport winning formula one is the way to do that really you're just kind of deflecting by talking about it's great when there are versatile drivers yeah and i've seen for example um when i was when i've watched things like race of champions over the years and when i was in it once i saw some of the super duper drivers like vettel really adapt to different cars extremely well you, it's not like they only did well in a yeah. car was like a single seater the guy who wins that outright is really good in lots of different types of cars yeah um so it is possible <laughs> but i think if you were then doing a championship of those cars the regulars would be very hard to beat so uh, we only talk about your race of champions experience to talk about how you beat vettel in the skills challenge which was a very specific kind of it looks so hard like you know like sliding into like a set of cones and stuff and so the fact that Vettel even finished third in that is actually a huge compliment that's a really good case in point because mm. in even in that example I had a, an advantage over guy in fact over most people there mm. because I had been working at a place where we did a lot of donuts and you know slalom type, type things in rear wheel drive small light cars so although it's you know it's in a different venue and the layout mm. of the track's different driving fast cars quite slowly and sideways is a thing I'd done a lot of. So I, even though Vettel, you know, was a Formula One champion and there are other people who were champions of their own disciplines, that's a, a perfect example of where I'd done a lot of that particular thing. So yeah. of, of course I had a bit of an advantage there. Um, and I'm sure the guys that are, that if there was anyone there that was a radical champion, they'd have yeah. been the fastest in the radicals on the track. So briefly, before we go to Chris, um, would you say that Vettel impressed you then with his overall versatility, his overall driving? Sorry, you, I thought you were asking Chris. No. Sorry, um, yo, I was very impressed. I, I was super impressed. I just thought that for someone who's done so much like um, Vettel, who's won so many races and won mm. so many championships, to care enough about yeah, this that's kind it, of yeah. off-season fun event that he took it seriously enough to walk the track and really get to grips with each of the cars and you know really pay attention to how to get the best out of them i was really impressed by that but even he had to do that you know he had to take it seriously to do well so for context and clarity i think some people maybe misunderstood a headline or something because uh, this is not a make f1 a spec series no. debate this is take the drivers or take some of the drivers stick them in something completely random for a yeah. fun race. Yeah. Now the con the, the the original thing of this or the the big example was I think it was in 1983 the Nurburgring hosted a touring car race with a Mercedes I think a 190e or something that had 10 Formula 1 drivers, 10 current Formula 1 drivers and junior drivers including one Ayrton Senna who won that race. It was the thing that really put him on the map besides being the reigning British F3 champion. But suddenly going up against 10 of the best drivers in the world in completely equal machinery that uh, if I remember rightly, none of them kind of really had any prior experience. Yeah. It's a really nice idea. Make, don't make it something that the other don't stick them in a formula two car because that gives the formula two drivers an advantage, get them in something completely mm. random. 
I love at the Macau Grand Prix when a Felix Rosenquist or an Antonio Felix da Costa, like they did a few years ago, just comes back for the Macau Grand Prix. It gives you a benchmark yeah. to, to lay against these new guys. It should be something that doesn't devalue their worth as a Formula One driver should they have a bad result. Exactly. So like caterums, go and bring some caterums and, and get them on a, a shortened version of, um, of the, the, the Nürburgring Grand Prix track or something like that. Because that is the fear, isn't it? That it's always it's going to devalue F1 as a spectacle. Would go, oh, well, Gasly beat everyone. So this sport's rubbish because he would beat them in equal cars. And we kind of don't want to remove that, that majesty and that, that mystique that F1 has. Because F1's a career game as well as a, a, just an on-track game. Yeah, but I think it should be purely for promotional purposes. You know, it's got nothing to do with the championship. Don't even make it multiple mm-hmm. races. Just maybe three or four times a year. You you do a, a completely random thing. It's caterings one day, or it's some random saloon car the next. The problem you have is the drivers are, are quite aware that they can look very silly when they mm. they get in something which they're not used to. And even if none of them have driven, say for example, it's a Renault Clio Cup car or something. Like that. Say it's something that they haven't done because it wasn't on their career path to F one. There will be some of them that have done more of that kind of thing than others. And then you might get someone who's generally like a midfield driver making everyone else look silly. And then, like you say, it'll kind of make everyone think, oh, maybe if this guy was in equal machinery to the guys at the front, he'd be winning. But it's not necessarily true. It's just that it's something quite different that they're maybe a bit more easy to adapt to. And just an example of this, I've seen on, uh, on kind of team building days where F1 yeah. drivers have brought their yeah. mechanics to a track to, um, to kind of give them a day out. I've seen, I've seen Formula One drivers' mechanics beat them in certain cars because yeah. they had an instructor who maybe they maybe that one of their mechanics had raced in clear cup quite a lot of motorsport mechanics have raced um, junior formula or, or saloon cars and things sure like and, Newey, and yeah. their formula one driver i'm not going to say who this was beat the formula one driver um host um who then was a bit sheepish for the rest of the day because bob who looks after the wheel nuts is just beating them by half a second in a clear 100 percent gonna guess palmer but you don't have to shake your head you don't have to nod nothing uh stevens and then matt but I think that's why it's important to just keep it invitational. If you want to join in, then then do it. It's just a bit of fun. And I think there will be plenty of drivers who do it. You don't have to get all 20 of them in it. You can fill the spots with some F2 drivers, some F3 drivers, and then it's great exposure for them as well. It was Rosberg. <laughs> nice one. No, fair enough. I was like, oh, that's really unfair on Palmer. I was, I was about to message you, Brad, and say, if it wasn't Palmer, just tell me so I can clear it up. Was it really Rosberg? Yeah. Wow. And it was clear cut. Oh, wow. There you go. Trumpets. Sorry, mate. Well, this whole thing came about because uh, for the next umpteen races, we're only going to be seeing non-single seaters in the support races. And so yeah, Vettel said, well, yeah. that, that could be a fun thing. But I want to be annoyed, first of all, because the idea of a fun race is stolen, stolen from us here at Missed Apex, yeah. as we regularly do them as part of our series. Yeah. And secondly, everyone seems to be ignoring my idea, which takes the Formula, idea, uh, Formula E idea of fan boost, Mm. And let's fans vote the drivers into the car, into the Formula One cars. They would then have to do the fun race then. I still say that would be hilarious and entertaining. It, it would be brilliant, but I think we need to keep something that's feasible. And I think, and in a realistic way, this is probably the, the best option. I love the idea. It's never going to happen, unfortunately. And I think the, the reason that you don't see uh, more drivers like Nico Hulkenberg go off and win Le Mans um, anymore is because of, I think, situations like Robert Kubitzer, for example, who just went and had fun in a rally car a couple of months before his season started and 
ended his Formula One career for eight years uh, because of an incident. And it's it's a really big risk to go and do something that extreme. Whereas if you're talking something silly like like Clio Cup uh, for these drivers. Just <gasps> Don't call Clio race. Cup silly. Don't do that. I'm not calling it. You just uh, did. Mate, you, you have no idea. I am such a huge Clio <laughs> Cup fan. Okay. The UK series. I okay. absolutely adore it. The one thing that I've always enjoyed watching and I'm really sad doesn't exist anymore is the Bercy Kart Masters that, that used to happen reasonably yes. regularly. And mm. if anybody hasn't seen that, just check out on YouTube, just type in Bercy Kart Masters and you'll see Senna versus Prost in fast go-karts and a big indoor track. I think it's in, yeah. in Paris, isn't it? Um, Hamilton um, in some races. Yeah, Schumacher, uh, I've seen Grosjean, yeah, I think yeah, Schumacher, definitely. Grosjean versus Jean-Éric Verne and loads of other stars of their time. Um, in obviously identical carts in a kind of unimportant off-season race where they are taking it seriously and they've all come up through karting. So it, at least that's something that they've all had experience in. But mm. if they don't win, nobody really cares. But it's a great spectacle. Yeah, this is the problem, though. This is when you're talking about no one really cares. And about four or five years ago, I, I would have believed that until I've gotten to know people like you and Alex and Kyle a little bit better. Oh, no, the drivers care. Yeah. But I mean, like they know that the, the wider motorsport world isn't really going to hold it against them if they don't win that event. That's but I think they would now. I think they would now. I think the whole motorsport community would, uh, especially F1 Twitter, which I'm increasingly falling out of love with. Everything's stupid. They're the worst. But I, I think that uh, someone would think that their stock in Formula One would be affected by not winning that kart championship like brad fantastic example with you like you are head and shoulders clear ahead of most people in our mistake pecs karting event right because i mean it's mainly down to the weight because you are you're the appropriate weight for your sport no it's not that at all um but what we did was we put you in a in a you know we put you with ballast so we stuck you with an extra 20 kilograms to get you up to to get you up to 40 kilograms so you would be a total of 40 kilograms (laughs) no we, we put you up to like um 85 kilograms i think in the end and even then, like the thought of losing hurt you. You wouldn't have been happy with going, oh, yes, someone did beat me, but that's because I took on a, a weight disadvantage. You wouldn't have wanted to, to make that explanation. And you're the same. Alex is the same. Kyle's the same, even though he pretends he's not. I, I Kind of. But the only thing I say in that example is that is someone who is supposed to be a professional racing against a, a, a big group of people who aren't <laughs> professionals. Okay. So it, look, it would look particularly bad if I didn't win. Whereas if you were racing against a group of the best drivers in the world, I don't think it's mm. as bad, but I, I do take your point. Uh, yeah, I, I can't help but feel the pride would get in the way. And you've got agents involved as well. And, you know, does Sergio Perez's agent want him beaten by Giovinazzi in a Caterham? You know, possibly not. There's a simple way around this. Just make it a, an entry requirement of Formula One. So <laughs> yeah, in, order to, in order to have your Formula One super license for the year, you agree to take part in this annual event and all the drivers have to do it. So there's no excuse. Uh, brilliant. Well, Matt, I think that takes us nicely onto the Will Buxton tweet that I wanted to talk about. And then we can talk some engines, I think. And, and that might well be us. Does that sound like a plan? I like it. Okay, so where's the Will Buxton tweet? Here we go. Uh, Will Buxton, uh, of course, um, the fact that he's tweeting so merrily, hopefully that is a sign that he is recovering well from his positive uh, COVID test that's kept him away from the races. Okay, here's his tweet. And I'm I'm not really addressing what he's saying here. I'm taking it and, and putting it in a different direction. With all the talk over the future of how we power motorsport, I'm still desperate to see an open formula future. 
a platform to develop, evolve, learn, and compete with direct relevance to how we transport ourselves now. Now, Will is very clear, Mr. Buxton, sorry, Mr. Buxton, is very clear to say he's not talking about making Formula One open. It's a separate series where people could just do whatever they, they want. So what I would like to do, Matt, is then take that and go, okay, let's take that principle and let's do the opposite of what Will's saying and say, let's talk about Formula One and where we would want it to be in regards to spec and open. And, you know, what if they said tomorrow, okay, Formula One, we're fed up of the regulations, uh, it's been going, we've been restricting you too much, the fans just want all gloves off. Here you go, you have this amount of dinosaur fuel and you can store as much energy as you want from all of that, you can use your hybrid, uh, it's up to you, go. Do anything you want to get around the racetrack as quickly as you can. What do you think? Well, I think uh, this is a show that Summers and I did several years ago nope. about parametric regulations. No one listens to Tecton. It's fine. And um, it was based on a paper I read that was written back around 2010 by, I think it was Ed Hunt, but I could be wrong. It's on academia.edu if you want to go search for it. But it, it, anyway, he was writing about exactly this, the prescriptive nature of Formula One regulation, where you were told exactly what a thing can and can't be. And he suggested an alternative where instead of being prescribed it, you were giving parameters into which performance parameters into which a thing must fit. So, for example, no longer do you have to have a front wing that can't have this and can't have this and this box you can build in, but this box you cannot build in. Instead, you can make any old front wing you want as long as it meets test A for lack of flexibility yeah. and test B for this is how much load is allowed on the axle at uh, 250 kilometers an hour. As long as you meet those tests, you can build any wing you want. But wasn't that called 1986? Uh, it's called, it was called WEC in the good old days yes. where you could bring any old engine you wanted as long as it fit inside certain parameters. And that was by far the most exciting time that we saw in that sport. It absolutely was. But where is it now? which is the big problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened to it. Formula E happened to it because they said, we're not going to spend time, you know, making this, this hybrid engine where we can just make something that's fully electric for a lot less money as well. Tell me if I'm miles off the mark here, guys, but as, as a purist, I love this idea. And I think this mm. is, I think this is a great concept. If we have a massive pool of manufacturers who are all there willing mm. to spend all the money to do the development and make this work, but obviously the, the massive flaw here is that what you will definitely end up with is some people getting it right, some people being miles off. And if people think the gaps are big now between Mercedes and the rest of the field, it's going to be triple that when you get yeah. somebody who, who just hits the right balance and, and you know, gets the right mixture um, and everyone else is, is nowhere near that. Well, I think the issue really more than anything else comes back down to economics, as Chris rightly pointed out, because you could certainly drop a large amount of cash. But I want to offer a positive counterexample, which was the current engine regulations we have were initially prompted by Renault saying we need to move forward with the thermal efficiency of our engine. And we would like to run an I-4 mm. with this kind of energy recovery system. And they ran into resistance from Mercedes, but especially from Ferrari, who's like, we've never made a, a car that has only four cylinders in its engine. We have no plans to start. We do not wish to do this thing. The compromise was the V6. And as it turns out, that was a bad idea for Ferrari because Mercedes was way better at it. 
if we had parametric regs, explain the word parametric. Parametric. Ferrari could have brought their V8, and Mercedes could have done whatever they wanted to do, and it might have been a more interesting contest as a result. Quickly, I don't know the word parametric. It just means parameter. Okay, well, that didn't help. Regulations that describe a parameter instead of a specific thing. Fine. Chris? I really like the idea as well. The problem I think you're going to face as well is that the other technologies, electric, hydrogen, um, whatever anyone wants to bring to the table. Hamster. It's just not... Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I'm sorry. It's just, it's not going to be a hybrid engine. Uh, Anybody who watches work right now has seen the equivalence of technology try to balance out the hybrid Toyotas with the internal combustion engine rest of the field. And it, it just doesn't work because a hybrid engine has more power yeah. has more durability it has more more fuel efficiency and so if you take i mean look at formula e, for example which currently runs at about 350 brake horsepower compared to formula one which runs at 950 brake horsepower where are you going to get higher. them to meet in the middle to have them meet on track at some point <laughs> i don't i don't think the technology is yeah. quite there to have this this mix sure yet. And and I think Matt, I think um, whilst I completely take Will's point, his future formula, well, I don't think that will be the best racing spectacle. It will be a showcase for engineering. Um, you will see it's like it's going to be like watching. Uh, go go and watch like conference football. You know, like four tiers down, and instead of like everybody in the Premiership who they have to be fast fit, they can all shoot. Even the defenders are, are great with a penalty or whatever. Um, your conference football is like uh, the Mighty Ducks in ice hockey. You know, you've got one guy who can hit it really hard, but he's like super heavy and he can't skate. Or you've got one guy who's really fast, but he can't stop. That's the kind of that's the kind of teams I think you'd develop in 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 the um, you know in this future formula, Matt. So I don't think you'd get necessarily the best best racing. So I know it's a straw man to compare that to Formula One. You know, that's why I'm saying I wouldn't want to see Formula One open up like that. And I'm not suggesting that's what the the tweet was suggesting. No, he was very clearly talking more like the Delta car that ran out of Garage 56, which is a completely opposite way to try and get around Le Mans in 24 hours. And when, and boy, it was, everybody was pulling for that car to to finish the race, but Mm. it was just too delicate and kept on getting run into by evil GTE drivers. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, GTE drivers, but I've been there and I've seen you do that. We're not GTEist. We've got at least one GTE friend on the panel. If I may deliver perhaps a potentially low blow to the current set of engine regulations, and I think this might well back Matt's point up, um, which is that during this set of regulations, since they came in, we had Cosworth say, we're not going to do Formula One anymore. Mm-hmm. We brought back Honda. Honda have left. Gone. What What did we gain by doing this thing that was supposedly supposed to open us up to manufacturers. No, that was never. It was never to open up to manufacturers. It was always about optics. Surely, Chris. Surely. Well, yes, probably. But when you've got Honda saying they don't want to do Formula One, but will happily sign up to IndyCar's next set of regulations, I guess, A, because the North American market is much more important to Honda, and A, IndyCar is fantastically cheap compared to Formula One. But I just don't think we, we gained anything. Right. So I do want to speak to the point of the regulations. Renault threatened to walk away if they didn't update the engine regs because they saw where they felt the market was headed. 
Toyota had come out with the Prius, and they're like, we need to build hybrid engines. The Curse is not enough. Prius. We need more efficiency. We see where this is going. They wanted to use the I-4, which was their specialty. Wait, wait, I-4, so, please explain I-4. Inline four-cylinder. Oh, okay, right. Um, versus a V6, which is a V-bank of six cylinders. Um, yeah. At, oh, I can't remember the degree now, but even in a prescribed degree in the regulation. 45, so, isn't it? Maybe. Is it 45? Um, I think so. So their parametric regs would allow each engine manufacturer to bring the thing they were already good at. So it would save them on some development costs and they could run with what they felt their strength was. The disadvantage is economic because you can sink a stupid amount of money into developing a concept. And here I will bring up Nissan with their front wheel drive experiment at Le Mans that was an utter disaster. And you can spend a large amount of money and have a total failure as a result. But with regards to Honda and IndyCar, it's a separate, it's a separate entity the honda that is pulling out of formula one it's run out of a separate office it's american based and it is totally unrelated to honda's decision to pull out of formula one when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue nile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Okay. So uh, my last point then on I think on the spec stuff is I think I'm I'm completely the opposite way and. If I voice these opinions, it, it, it feels sort of like I'm a, I'm a traitor to the engineering side of Formula One. But in the olden days, let's say it cost 100 quid to build an F1 car, just for, for numbers we can describe. So that competition existed in the 100 quid zone. So now if a car costs 1,000, instead of having all the development and the race around 1,000 pounds worth, worth of development, can we not just have like 800 pounds worth of it to be spec and 200, have that war of the development be in the 200 uh, part? And, and I know this is, you know, what we're talking about is spec versus custom. But Matt, I think, you know, it's not unreasonable to just say, okay, we understand it's a more expensive, more complex sport. Let's keep our hybrid technology. Let's keep the wings and the flaps and let's make this a pinnacle of engineering. However, all we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to take the technologies that we know have been perfected 
or the technologies where one side has got such an advantage that it's ruining the sport <clears throat> engines and say, OK, let's make that part spec. So let's have let's have one manufacturer for the hybrid part of the engines. And, and Ferrari can still have pride that they're making their ICU because that's what they want. Ferrari don't have pride about build, building the hybrid bit, do they? Well, I don't know. Ferrari probably have pride about everything because, you know, they're Ferrari. Ferrari. Fair enough. I think the idea, and here's where you're correct, because the reason we know that Cosworth refused to try and make, do, to enter as a manufacturer of power units to Formula One, they said, we would do it if we could bring a full internal combustion engine. However, we've looked at it and the addition of the MGUH makes it the development so expensive. We don't have the resources to compete with the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari and Renault. So if you're going to talk about making a part of the engine spec, then if you say, here's the MGUH that you all must use, and we do not, you do not spend any money on developing it. Instead, it's about integrating it into your power unit and where you go from there. Well, then, then maybe, maybe you're on to something and you might be able to get the manufacturers to agree to something like that. And that might allow some new um, manufacturers to come into the sport with the new set of regulations. Chris, last point on this. Can I address the optics thing you brought up? Oh, hello. Because You've been sitting there stewing about me calling you on optics. All right, go on then. No, no, no. I, I agree, but I hate it because the actual running of a Formula One car, like as yeah. in just putting it, just it being on track, the emissions that produces is 1%, yeah. and I'm not exaggerating, of what Formula One as, an, as a sport produces in terms of co2 emissions uh, okay chris i made the same point to carter on friday uh brad you're gonna okay i'll counter it or what when yeah when people watch formula one on tv they're not watching the cargo get delivered they're watching the cars on the track and <laughs> yeah that's the yeah, yeah. and that's so, why it's optics chris the tire blankets themselves oh. <laughs> emit more okay. co2 than is done an entire formula yeah, yeah but that's why i'm talking the tire blanket but that's why we're talking about optics brad's completely right people aren't measuring that they're going right is formula one economically uh, ecologically friendly yes because we're pursuing ecologically friendly uh we're, we're pursuing the technologies matt that then go to a broader you know a broader societal application and i do want to get off this topic soon all right. Um, generally speaking, the actual racing doesn't produce very much of what Formula One is responsible for. Primarily, it's plane travel. that's the big driver. And the surprise to everyone will be that shipping is also incredibly low. Like when you put a thing on a yeah, ship yeah. and move it around Shipping's the world, great. Container lorries are, generate yeah, very much. Yeah. Container yeah. lorries are very, very um, uh, per part that's on that container lorry. Shipping's fine. I was pressured to move on from this topic i'm looking in the live chat and there's someone going oh this is worse than tires vote to move on i'm like oh my god the chat room's turning on us it was you brad it, those comments are all from you yeah should, let's do the next topic. should we talk about skids and stuff should we talk about donuts yeah. is that better yeah all right in that case let's go to chris stevens um let's talk about the ferrari juniors in formula one um this is making me nervous because uh, you know, I am a declared Sergio Perez fan. He's looking for a race seat. And whilst I'm increasingly confident that he's going to go to Red Bull, I'm not. But people keep <laughs> saying it. People keep saying it. It's like, stop. Don't tell me. Don't tell me I'm going to get, a, I might get a really good present. Don't do that to me. Just uh, shut up. Anyway, so realistically, we're looking at Perez to Haas and, um, and to Alfa Romeo. 
But now Ferrari seem to have done a real big push for their juniors. What's going on with that? Well, personally, first of all, I if I was Sergio Perez, I'd cut my losses and go and compete in a championship I could actually win in, like IndyCar, for example, rather than clinging on by the width of my fingernails to Formula One. But um, in terms of that seat, yeah, it could well end up at, at Hassel Alfa Romeo alongside a Ferrari junior. There are three of them who look like they're, they're going to be in for, or could very much be in Formula One next year. Mick Schumacher, of course, we're all familiar with. Callum Eilat and Robert Schwartzman. Now, the Eilat and Schumacher will be in FP1 yeah. at the Nürburgring with Haas and Alpha. Schwartzman mm. will get an outing in Abu Dhabi as well. I don't think the team has been confirmed for that yet. All three of them tested a 2018 Ferrari Formula One car at Fiorano uh, this week. Fantastic opportunity for all of them. But what's funny is they're not in some sort of shootout mode with them. It's going to be you know, more who actually impresses us the most. Uh, Well, this is the feeling I get, Brad, is that I think Ferrari's driver programme is actually vulnerable at the moment. So they've got their two young drivers, Leclerc and Sainz, either of which could not work out realistically. Who's behind them? Giovinazzi? I know you're a big listener to uh, Beyond the Grid. I got a little bit turned by the the Giovinazzi interview. Like, I I proper, like, stan him now. Am I using the, the term correctly? Stan. I think so, yeah. yeah. So I'm stanning um, uh, Giovinazzi, but really, is that a good bedrock for Ferrari's contingency plans? So first of all, I, I didn't listen to that podcast because do it. That, that driver, I mean, I will now on your recommendation, but that driver just does not excite me at all. I agree. Um, I'm, I'm I agree. very nonplussed by Giovinazzi's <laughs> job that he's done, which is a shame because I thought he did well in, in F2 or what well, I can't remember if, if it was GP2 when he was, was there. GP2 at the time. Um, so... The first thing I was going to say, did they get them all out in a Ferrari? Um, so they kind of had some experience in a kind of midfield car, slower car before they then put them into a Sauber and it go a bit quicker. Um, that's an alpha, sorry, alpha, bit of a joke about Ferrari being slow. Um, <laughs> I don't know what, what they're going to do with this kind of bottleneck of drivers. Um, I, from my point of view, I just really like to see whoever the best one is progress. Um, all I ever want to see from the junior formula is, not the driver with the most money, not the driver whose dad was, um, you know, the best ever, but yeah. I want to see the person who right now deserves the shot to move to the next level. And whichever one of those drivers is that, that one, I want to see them move forward. Chris is probably a bit more well-versed on all of their backgrounds up till now. I know Schumacher's, I'm not so familiar with Eilert or Schwartzman's, but, you know, they're all doing a decent job. It's now just a case of who's going to finish the job and put themselves in the frame. Well, Schwartzman, of course, Formula 3 champion last year. Uh, Eilat made his Formula 2 debut uh, last season, was very, very impressive in what could loosely be described as a, as a midfield team in that championship. So, and based on their performances this season, they all have a case for a promotion to Formula 1. And it looks like a lot of seats are going to open up. Now, you say Ferrari's driver academy is vulnerable. This is a good problem to have. Too many drivers because they also have Marcus Armstrong and Giuliano Alesi in there. Alesi, I'm not so convinced, is going to get into F1. Armstrong, maybe give him another year in F2 and he might uh, impress enough. He's not had a, an awful season. He struggled a little bit more compared to the others, but I'm sure he is going to get there. So Schumacher, apparently, if he gets in the top three in the F2 standings this season, will earn a promotion to Formula One. That's looking very, very likely. Current points leader in that uh, championship 
Eilot is right up there as well, fighting for that title. Schwartzman in there just about as well. And with we don't think Grosjean is going to hang around at Haas for another year. Potentially Magnussen as well. I think there's a bit of a question mark over him. But if Perez is going to get one of those seats anyway, Giovinazzi's seat could open up. Maybe Raikkonen's as well. There's suddenly a rumor going around that Raikkonen might actually stick around for another another cycle of a contract. But I think at least one of them is going to be in Formula One next year. And I think it should be two of them at least, really. So just tell me whether this is this is being harsh. So someone in the chat has pointed out that Schumacher is leading the F2 Championship by 20 points. So effectively, you know, it's definitely not that he's just there because of his name, etc. One thing I'd say when looking at Formula 2 um, point standings is you do massively have to look at the context because it's not a straightforward, standard, fastest driver wins the championship necessarily. Agreed. Particularly this season when you've got Massive unreliability, although some of this has affected Schumacher. Um, but you've also got things like reverse grids, which mean that the second result, which obviously carries points still, quite a lot of points, isn't necessarily always on merit. You know, you're penalizing the driver who's done better in the first race. Um, so, and other things happen, you know, it's a junior formula, so you get carnage occasionally, and drivers can be taken out through no fault of their own and suffer big points losses. So, I'd just say take the fact that Schumacher is leading by 20 points with a little bit of a pinch of salt. Mm. I don't think he's been spectacular. He's been very solid in scoring podiums. But if I was a team boss looking at a driver to bring up to my Formula One team, I would be a bit more interested in in someone who has shown massive outright speed that could potentially mature into a bit more of a, a regular winner rather than someone who is just really, really solid. So tell me what you think of that. I agree to an extent. I think you will always find across the, the championship, the top drivers are always going to find their way to the front of those points standing still. I don't think you could point out anyone in the top five of the championship at the moment and say, oh yeah, he's got a bit lucky in the, the reverse good races. You know, he d- probably isn't as quick as the guys, you know, right up there. Probably doesn't deserve it. I don't think you can say that about any of them. They've all done a really outstanding job. And yes, in, in Formula 2 and Formula 3, it still matters what team you're with uh, and it, it isn't even about uh, oh th- well this team won the title last year so therefore they must be the best there's so much context and ebb and flow that goes around with it it's you're right it's not just a case of quickest driver wins there's a lot of context in there as well which is why I think it's important to to watch those championships so just to clarify my point wasn't that the guys in the top five have any of them locked into that position it was more that within that top group the person who happens yeah. to be at the front of that don't necessarily read into the fact that, you know, they're there entirely on merit because there are potentially other circumstances around. For, for sure. But that's why you then get them in the Formula One car and do your own private testing. You know, you get the benchmark view there and then you start to make your own assessment. An incredibly enjoyable debate and new show here at Missed Apex Podcast. There's two things I want to cover before we leave you guys. Firstly, I want Matt to explain to us how the engine rules might affect. There are specific rules about the about what the teams have to do in terms of supplying engines. So we will get Matt to just talk at us, uh, uh, i.e. not a debate, just talk at us about where we stand with those. Obviously, that's to do with um, with Renault supplying potentially supplying Red Bull. And we want to have a little look at the uh, Nürburgring Grand Prix that's going to be coming up next weekend. 
just like to take this opportunity to say, you can support us in a number of ways. Oh, why is he ruining the content talking about how you can support us? Well, because that's the only reason that we're here at all. So the, the number one thing you can do is tell your friends that Missed Apex Podcast exists. Share a link if you can. If you're on the podcast and you're, you're listening on your app, uh, swipe right on Android. I don't know how it works on Apple, but there will be a link there for you to share. And if you could share that on your social media or with your friends and say, check this out, we'd really appreciate it. We don't have a marketing department. We don't have uh, great PR gurus at our disposal. Yes, Chris is a great PR guru, but he does nothing for, for zero cash. Isn't that right, Chris? You're like a mercenary PR guy. Absolutely. Pay me in uh, any... I, I don't just take money. I'll take bribes. All right. Uh, good. Any, any... <laughs> that's good to know. Um, and Anything. The, but, you know, that speaks to the broader point, which is we are outgunned by the other podcasts that are level with us in the iTunes ratings. And we would like to push on. We would like to progress. Outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned. Uh-oh, this is a Hamilton reference, isn't it, Brad? I had to get one in there. <laughs> I approve of that comment. Oh, Thank you. Goodness. I'm going to have to get around to watching this at some point, but you're all ruining my push for support because in 2021, we are looking at being far more ambitious. We're looking at ways that we can really step up as an organisation and be a place where you can turn up for all your F1 content needs. So to help us, to, uh, to help us at least keep up with the big boys a little bit, to give us some resources, in our battle to thrive and survive, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex, patreon.com forward slash missed apex. If you're not interested in any of that, but you think, hey, I enjoyed that show, I'd like to buy those guys a pint, you can go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar and say, there you go, guys, have, have a coffee on us. Um, but also you can support us on iTunes by leaving us a review. A five-star review would be nice. And I don't care how mean you are about Matt Trumpets, as long as it's five stars. Now, speaking of Matt, Matt, you're going to give us a breakdown of uh, perhaps what Renault are obliged to do. Right. Well, this all came about um, due to our conversation with Carter on Friday's show discussing Honda leaving. And that's brought up two massive issues for the sport one of which is where does red bull go and he offered the tantalizing possibility that they might uh, so to speak roll their own but if not where do they go because who do we have left ferrari mercedes and renault and then the question was well what are the exact rules who's required to do what and we didn't have time before the show but i did take the time to go look up the rules and i'll get to that in just a second but the other is and this is also tied to renault so i'm going to pretend that it's relevant even though it's totally not to what you just asked me is that they are right now mercedes renault ferrari and i guess honda no longer discussing the next set of engine regulations and where that comes down is going to have everything to do with whether or not manufacturers have anything to do with Formula One and whether or not Formula One itself decides it has very much to do in terms of engines with road relevance for manufacturers. And we don't know, but I think what we can say is they're not going to go backwards on efficiency at this point. And so that's why I mentioned, say, for example, the spec MGUH, which would save a lot of money for the manufacturers but would still keep the thermal efficiency. And that's why we talk about things like two-stroke engines and biofuels <laughs> and this and that and the other. 
all of that's being negotiated now. And if it's not sorted out soon, then we could see manufacturers making commitments to other sports that better fit their long-term research needs. Yeah. That said, yeah. you wanted to know about the rules. And I'm so excited because not only did I look them up, I quoted them and I can read them to you at liberty until you say stop. Please just tell me what that means in English. And this is what I'm going to do now. Well, I can't you just skip to the bit where it's easy to understand immediately? Well, I want everyone to understand the kinds of sacrifices I regularly make on behalf of the show. You say, what are the rules? And I say, oh, the rules say this. And you're like, great. They have no idea what I have to really wade through. Come on, Brad. So, Brad's getting bored. We haven't talked about steering for ages. Would you rather we talked about tires? You know, Brad and I. No, no. Fine. Okay, fine. Fine. Your threat has worked. Just tell us the rules. All right. So I've actually only quoted the, the relevant regulations. And I'm only going to give you a taste. I promise I won't give you the whole thing. But this is what you get to read if you look in the regs. The FIA and the commercial rights holder remain entitled to decide jointly that this appendix being withdrawn at any time with the number of power unit manufacturers flying power units in a championship season is less than three. Three, if called upon to do so by the FAA before one June or such state is agreed in writing between all the power manufacturers in the FAA of the season preceding which power units were supplied, supply at least the number of teams T equal to the following equation. T equals 11 minus A divided by B minus C. A equals total number of team works factory having supply agreement concluded for the championship with the new power unit manufacturer. B, total number of manufacturers homologated power units for the given championship season C. Right. Okay. So I actually did this math and it's pretty funny. Basically it's 11 minus three divided by three, which equals 2.667. And since they mention fractional units, that means that each manufacturer is required to supply up to three teams mm. if the FIA says so. Now, none of this applies if they're not three manufacturers or they have the right to decide it doesn't apply. Realistically, Mercedes have four teams, Ferrari uh -huh. have three teams. It's going to be Renault. If if they're stuck now, the good news is Renault mm -hmm. has announced that despite okay, despite some occasional trauma, everyone's still with, with us with with, with, yeah. with Red Bull. Yep, they will be willing mm -hmm. to supply Red Bull with a power unit. But the problem for Red Bull is they know they're not going to win unless they're a works manufacturer. And with Renault or Alpine, as they will soon be known in the game, they will never be a works manufacturer. So it's going to be fun. Okay, I'm just going to assume that all the relevant points were covered. I don't know. Uh, it's one of those things where you have to skip back 30 seconds and see if it's worth listening to again. I would suggest even playing it, Chris, at uh, 0.25 speed, as suggested in the chat. I mean, I don't understand what the issue was there. I mean, that all went in really? perfectly okay. fine. Yeah, yeah. I, really great explanation, uh, Matt. Uh, super clear. Uh, no room for misunderstanding there. Excellent. So, uh, Please don't say more about it. Please don't say more about it. Well, we've we got to ponder on this. For no, a I want to move on. I have to desperate to move on. Where does this leave the clause in Max Verstappen's contract about having to supply him with a competitive engine? Yeah, good. We shall wonder about that, but not before we look forward to the Nurburgring. Coming back to Formula One, Brad, this has got to be exciting for you. You are a Nordschleifer specialist. Um, now, when you do the, the green hell, is the Grand Prix Strecker circuit part of that? Yes, it is. Ah, yeah. all of so it. I've driven around the, the, the Nürburgring Formula One track quite a lot. For VLN, or NLS as it's now called, which is the series I've done the last few years, um, you actually really only do half or two thirds of the Grand Prix circuit. They've got a kind of cut through. But in the Nürburgring, 24 hours, you do do the entire Formula right. 1 circuit as well. 
I have had the privilege of driving it quite a lot. Okay, so you've driven that track load, so you're a great person to speak to. Now, you've driven it in a, a GT car um, on our sim racing. Yes, sorry, that one guy. Uh, we, we'll talk about our sim racing. That was where our last race was um, in our iRacing tournament last night. Uh, it's in those circumstances, Matt. I mean, we found it to be a wonderful track, very challenging, heavy braking, challenging for downforce. Um, obviously, the question is, you know, will Formula One cars go well around there? Well, in very challenging in terms of the weather they're going to encounter. It's going to be cold, and they have brought not the softest uh, selection of tires to the circuit, oh. probably due to the degradation profile. Okay. So it's going to be very interesting to see who can get the temperatures in the window and who can't. And that's liable to play a bit of a lottery role uh, in next weekends. But I want to mention, my excitement is, do you know the last year that they raced there? In 1997. 2013. Oh, okay. I took a guess. I was very wrong. Chris? That 2013 and 2011 uh, race where they were alter, uh, alternating with... Um, Hockenheim for the German Grand Prix. Two really, really interesting races. And uh, I think we're going to break a record this weekend because the 2011 race at the Nürburgring was the coldest Grand Prix ever recorded. The track temperature was something like 13 degrees. And if you check the forecast, and no, the Nürburgring's not really a, a warm place normally. <laughs> and uh, so it's usually very misty, very foggy, very cold and very rainy. So, uh, yeah, a record-breaking weekend. I have been there plenty of times where you couldn't see the end of the pit lane because the fog was so <laughs> thick. Um, and, you know, and temperatures are invariably... Okay, what about October? Cold. October. Yeah, I mean, I, I've raced there in a season where every single race in the entire year was soaking wet. I didn't get a single dry lap in the whole year. So... I'd be surprised if we don't get some inclement weather, especially given the forecast this weekend. And are you optimistic that we can get some decent racing with the Formula One cars? I mean, it's kind of narrow, but it's sweeping. It's it's reasonably Magello-ish, except it has a lot of heavy stops. And are they going to use the chicane at, at the end of the lap? Um, so, yeah, there are two chicanes at the end of the lap. There's kind of the endurance one, which is what I've tended to use, which is actually a bit less tight I imagine the Formula One cars will use the one they've always used, which is the really tight chicane um, towards the end of the circuit. But the track is obviously the same width as it was the last time they raced there. Yeah. The cars have got wider. Yeah. Um, but there is, I think there are certain sections where it's plenty wide enough um, and the ideal line is extremely wide on entry, therefore opening up all of the inside for dive bombs. So yeah. turn one, turn two, turn three, they're all places where I think you're going to potentially see some um, some overtakes. So that, that chicane not might might not be the complete race killer that it might be in other races, Chris, because you've got the chicane and then you've got another hairpin leading onto the back straight. And that hairpin is quite sweeping. Well, 2011, one of the best races I've ever seen and some of the best wheel-to-wheel -wheel action as well. You can get very easily wrong-footed in that chicane as Lewis Hamilton did in the lead of that Grand Prix that year. There was some awesome side-by-side -side with Mark Webber during that race. And of course, move of the season in my money was Hamilton sailing around the outside of Alonso at turn two um, on cold tyres. Yeah. So hopefully we get a bit more of that. So, so Brad, you, you know, that turn one, when you were talking about wide entries and exits, that turn one is amazing. And because it's off camber as well, it's a error generator, there's bumps all over it. And then that gives you a variety of lines into that left-hander, that sweeping turn two. Yeah, so the key thing about turn one is actually that the apex um, really falls away. So uh, you can be, if you were taking a normal line 
through that corner and your right front tyre was effectively on the kerb, um, it, it could be off the floor because the track really falls away right on the inside and it doesn't so much a little bit wider out. So you quite often see cars with a, a wheel in the air as they go through the apex of turn one. And there are multiple lines um, when you're battling side by side with people through those first few corners. Well, let's see. It's going to be cold conditions. Good for Mercedes. Heavy on the brakes. Good for Lewis Hamilton. Can we boringly predict a Lewis Hamilton romp? Does anyone have any predictions to give uh, the Hamilton haters some hope, Matt? Well, I can talk about the last race there in which Hamilton was on pole, lost out to Vettel for the lead, and um, then, excitingly enough, uh, wound up in about fifth place because Mark Webber's car, first of all, lost a wheel in the pit and it hit a cameraman, which people may not remember. Yes, of course. And then... And, and this is a bit of a sad memory, but a memory nonetheless. Jules Bianchi's Marusha went up in flames, brought out the safety car, and the race actually was won by Vettel, with Raikkonen and Grosjean taking the last of the podium position in their Lotus. I just wanted to point out that I've just had this whole chat with you guys, uh, and this won't mean anything to people listening to the podcast, but if you're watching the YouTube stream, and the Grand Prix track we're talking about is right by my head here in the picture. So <laughs> okay. I don't know if you can see that. But yeah. there's a, a cutout of it on my wall. Brad, show us your arm. Brad. Oh, yeah, it's also on my arm. Hang on, can we show that on the yeah, camera? Yeah, we can, we totally um, can. Brad has a, a Nordschleifer tattoo on his arm. Very brave. I've always wanted to get a tattoo, but I have never had a period in my life where I didn't think that five years ago me was a complete knobhead. Matt? What I will say is that teams that have been very kind on tyres might struggle in the very, very cold temperatures. And teams that have been struggling with tire wear might actually do a bit better. So if you're paying Racing attention point, to that, yeah. that's kind of that might be something to look at. And you should see evidence of it uh, by free practice too on Friday in terms of the race pace and the simulated quality runs. Cheeky Perez win. That's what I'm hearing. Matt, we've got time for an award. Comment of the week. Uh, I remembered it, but did you? Last time I remembered it, you had forgotten. And you just read the last comment that had been typed and awarded that the, the award. Actually, last time my entire computer crashed oh, and yeah. I calmly and heroically got it back up and rejoined the call and even had memorized at least one comment for you, even though I lost. How have you all added my comments in the crash? <laughs> I think you've overused heroically there, if I'm completely <laughs> honest. Right, okay. So give us some candidates for comment of the week. Totally and this unrelated is unrelated to my whiskey consumption, okay. and I'm sure. Comment of the week is where we look at some of the fantastic chat room comments. You can join the live chat by going to Missed Apex um, on YouTube. So just search for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. You guys keep us company while we're here, and it wouldn't be the same without you. In fact, we've had technical problems where we've not been able to have the chat room, and it just hasn't been the same. Comment of the week looks at some of the best comments we've had during the show. Matt, who's the candidates? All right. Well, this is an interesting one. Um, and I do apologize if you made a clever comment and I missed it. I apologize. I cannot see them all anymore. There's just too He's many of so you and old. so many are so yeah. awesome. That said, we're going to start with Felipe Coco. I Ooh. love how people are like people on iRacing are so disrespectful. FAA Kart Championship. Hold my bumper. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Go and follow me on Twitter at Spanners Ready. Look at my tweet where, uh, where I uh, quote tweeted a video of uh, a carter who presumably had been taken out, picks up the bumper that had fallen off his cart, attempts to throw it at the guy who took him out, misses because of a lack of shoulder and hip rotation, 
and ends up hitting his own teammate with that. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. At Spanners Ready on Twitter. Go check that out. And, and going to our very early discussion with, with Brad, maybe pre-show, about Vettel. So all this Vettel spinning is him getting ready to avenge his loss to Brad. Oh, my God, Brad, it's all been like a 10-year plot to beat you at the next skills challenge at the next race of champions. It's all just been him practicing, hasn't it? All been him practicing. Oh, my God, that's really harsh. Matt, carry on. Uh, Pete Schiller's electricity killed the F1 star like video killed the radio star. The radio star is fine. No, we're not stars anymore, are we? We're just background listening. There we go. Stupid video. And we're going to go back to Christopher Fonseca for one more. Renault will just claim that Alonso's ego requires at least three engines to accommodate when it comes to giving Red Bull another engine. I think I like the first one, Matt. What was the first one? That was Felipe Coco. I love how people are like, people on iRacing are so disrespectful. FIA Car Championship, hold my bumper. Oh, that's the wrong one. Comment of the week. What, you've never pressed the wrong button at work before. Thank you very much to my panel here on Missed Apex Podcast. Brad, you have things to say. You're at Brad Philpot or Bradley Philpot everywhere. That's correct, yeah. Although I, I quite like going by Brad now because I think it sounds cooler. But yeah, on my social channels, if you search for Bradley Philpott, um, that's how you'll find me. Um, but if, uh, Spanners, I think you're, you're using this to give me an opportunity to say a thing. So I'm going to yes, do it. Yes, do it. Um, so I, I appreciate the platform you've given me of here. Of course. Um, but as, as the listeners probably know, I, I've been in the background um, trying to get together the funding, quite frankly, for quite an exciting project, which I can't talk about explicitly just Wait, wait, yet. wait, wait, wait. Can you talk about it all about now? Can you talk about it now? In like three weeks, ah! I'll be able to tell you everything. Okay. It'll be really exciting. Okay. So it's still, it's frustrating. I'm not allowed to say much, but what I, what I would like to say is I would really like to thank some, a couple of people who have made this an absolute reality now. So we're no longer in the stage where I might be getting to do a really cool thing. We are definitely <laughs> going to do it now. So Martin and Emma at a company called M for M Animal Shelters met with me yesterday and basically got this project over the line. So mm-hmm. we've had plenty of um, great supporters that have, that have helped me and in part thanks to your, your kind plugs on the show, Spanners. Um, but this instance, I just wanted to say a special thank you to these guys because um, as you'll see once you see the car, um, <laughs> they are quite heavily involved and have really made it reality. So Brilliant. Martin and Emma, thank you very much. And if you fancy it, guys, instead of going and liking my own social media channels, search for M for M on Facebook. Um, M for like, M. M. Yeah, it's the letter M, then yeah. the number four, and okay. then E-M. Brilliant. Timber um, products on Facebook. And there was one more backer you wanted to give a shout out to, Brad? Yes, I definitely want to say thanks to Jeff at Half Fast Gaming. I know he supported you and Treeface yes. in the past as yeah. well with Treeface Karting. Jeff extremely kindly has also given me some support. So, Jeff, thanks so much. Um, and we'll be doing a lot more formal announcements for all the other sponsors who have been amazing um in due course when i'm allowed to actually say it has it been three weeks yet <laughs> i can't wait i honestly can't wait and matt you can be followed on twitter at mattpt55 follow your wife at a weaver writes as well and we even had emails people saying where can i go because i'm not on twitter where can i go to find amanda's books i believe that's amandaweavernovels.com but oh. you can also just go look for Amanda Weaver on Amazon or your ebook seller of choice. And if you're in Italy, you might even find them on the shelves because apparently they're published in paperback and Italian. I do not understand this world. Awesome. And the uh, long overdue return of Chris Stevens. You can be found 
at Chris on Racing on Twitter. That's the one. Really enjoyed being back on the show. Did you? Because you seemed, you seemed kind of like, oh, I'm too cool for school. That's all. Uh, that's all I'm saying. I mean, I have ascended above <laughs> you guys now. Uh, I somewhat, I somewhat agree. And do you know what? You can follow me <laughs> at Spanners Ready. Uh, go on my Instagram. I'm definitely using that more now. I'm instinctively putting stuff on Instagram, and I'm really enjoying it. So Spanners Ready on there. Facebook, follow me, Richard Ready. Um, on there because they make me use my my corporate name. Curse them. They don't like spanners. Uh, the show can be followed at Mist Apex F1. We'll see you for the Nürburgring Grand Prix. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mist Apex. That, disappointingly, Matt, was probably one of the most professional shows we've done. It feels disconcerting. There was no major errors. We were all here on time. The audio's fine. I don't know. I feel very unsettled. It's, 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 it's just the first sign of the end time, as far as I can tell. <laughs> That's what it is. Thank you very much. Live stream. We'll see you later. Go to his Instagram for pictures of him in a Ferrari onesie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.